Welcome everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work that we're doing all over the world. You can follow our links at our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. But now, let us turn our focus to the consideration of God's Word. We are in interesting times, are we not? And things are not turning out as we may have anticipated only a short while ago. You might be tired and discouraged. If so, our lesson today from the life of Elijah is just for you. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Let's remember real quickly. Here, the square off has taken place on Mount Carmel. God has sent fire down upon an altar that Elijah has reconstructed. Although the priest of Baal had prayed all day long and cut themselves and cried out to Baal that he would send fire down upon their altar, nothing came until they literally bled themselves out. And then Elijah makes a very short prayer. It took him less than a minute to pray it. After he had set up his altar, fire comes down and consumes the offering that he's made. In the power of that moment, Elijah goes out and he slays all 450 of these prophets of Baal. Then he goes and he prays. And as he prays, God sends out this powerful rainstorm that comes down at the end of three years without rain. And it pours out upon the earth. And and then being filled with the Spirit of the Lord, Elijah, who was on the Mount Carmel praying for that rain, and as the rain begins to come down a deluge, he had sent Ahab ahead and said, you better rush and get back to your city because the rain is coming. But filled with the Spirit, Elijah then runs down from Mount Carmel all the way back at 17 miles to the city of Samaria, and he runs past waves probably as he's passing by at Ahab as he's rushing back to his house in his chariot and runs back, gets to the city of Samaria before Ahab. There's your backstory. all right? Let me read this again. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more so also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. If you remember the story that we've studied from Elijah, we find Elijah initially coming on the scene. He comes up from the place where he lives, a little remote place, and there Elijah the Tishbite, from Tishbe was the name of the place he came from, presents himself to Ahab, speaking as God had directed him to Ahab in the court of Ahab. The next thing God does, God tells Elijah to go to the brook Cherith, and Elijah goes to the brook Cherith, and there God provides for Elijah. And then God tells Elijah to go down into the place of Zarephath, 
and there he would provide from there, which was actually in Sidon. It was a Gentile region, and Elijah goes down into Zarephath, and there's a widow there that takes care of him. And then God tells Elijah, I want you to go back to Ahab, and I want you to confront him and tell him that I'm going to bring him into this drought. And Elijah goes and confronts Ahab and tells him that the drought is going to end. And we actually understand that God is calling Elijah now to go to Carmel, and there Elijah squares off with the priest of Baal. There's no way that the test that Elijah sets up was something that he brought up in his own imagination and mind. He is following the instruction that God gives him. He's going to places where God tells him to go. He's saying the word that God tells him to say. Everywhere in the life of Elijah thus far, everywhere we find Elijah, he arrived at that place at God's instruction. He got there because that's where God told him to go, and he did, and he spoke what God told him to speak. Everywhere except this place. This is the first place where we find Elijah where he hasn't been sent there by God. He went there all by himself. And in all those other places, he has profound authority and he has tremendous boldness. But in this place, he he doesn't have authority or boldness at all. What's happened? In all these other places, you also, if you look at the life of Elijah, you see him with this this sense of daring, coming from Tishbe, Tishbe, this remote place, walking into the court of the king Ahab, that wicked king, and confronting him and telling him that by his own word there was going to be drought coming upon the land, going back and confronting Ahab again after he learns that Ahab has been searching the nations, trying to find him to put him to death. He still goes and confronts him. The boldness that he expresses on Mount Carmel as he confronts the priest of Baal and the manliness by which he executes God's judgment upon them, daring, bold, and then we see him running down from Mount Carmel by the Spirit of the Lord, back through Jezreel to Samaria, and what happens? Now he goes down off of this mountain. He's filled with the expectation of all that God has done and that God is going to repeat it, and God is going to work through him in a mighty way, and he comes down off that mountain to Samaria, and he's confronted by Jezebel, and Jezebel wags her finger at him and says, I'm going to get you. Her heart hasn't changed. She's not turned back. I'm sure he was hoping now that he would be in a position to replace those evil individuals who had been the advisors and counselors of King Ahab and Jezebel and that he would be put back as the voice of God and the prophet who would speak before them. And his idea was that God was turning the nation back, so certainly God was also turning back the leadership to the Lord God of Israel. And he arrives at that place with that expectation and it's not what happens. Instead, Jezebel is just as resolute and her judgments against Elijah as ever before. I'll give you 24 hours, and within 24 hours I tell you, I'm going to do to you what you've just done to all my prophets. And Elijah is discouraged. Which, by the way, is somewhat of a, a common thing. It's very difficult to have God use you in a really powerful and significant way and see God do powerful and significant things and to be on this mountaintop where you're being used of God and you see God at work and then come down from that mountaintop expecting that God will come with that full force of his spirit and carry you through. And oftentimes it's the step down from the mountaintop that's very discouraging. And this is where Elijah finds himself. He's discouraged, he hears her threatening, he runs and he flees. It's a very interesting thing. We talked about this way back in November when we looked at this passage, but we saw here when we looked at this passage the first time that we see what a person sees without God. Even though Elijah has done all these tremendous things, actually it's not Elijah, God has done these tremendous things. God has sent down fire 
on an altar. God has poured out miraculous rain in response to prayer. But when Ahab goes down and speaks to Jezebel, he shows what a man sees without God. All he sees is what Elijah did. All he sees is the work of men. And Jezebel shows you what a person says without God in their life. Jezebel, even though all this has happened and God is doing all these things and it seems very plain that God is working through and putting together a movement that's a movement that is being inspired and led by God alone, Jezebel can't see the handiwork of God. She only sees the handiwork of men. And so all she can say is, I'm going to do better. I'm going to come back at you. I'll get you for this. And she just speaks out her own boast. Without God, you just double down on your own self-effort. You just double down on your own boast of what you're going to accomplish and what you're going to do. And that's what Jezebel does. But Elijah shows us what a Christian, what a person who is a follower of God does without God, does without God. Everything that we accomplish Anything that we can do of any value and any honor to God has to be done by God giving us his strength and his enabling and his power. And Jesus said that with him we can do all things, but Jesus also said without me you can do nothing. Nothing. And Elijah for a moment, acting on his own initiative, we discover what Elijah, this man who's been so bold and so done so many things, what Elijah can do without God, and it's, well, he can can run and hide. That's what he can do. He can rush off to a desert somewhere and wish that he could die, and that's exactly what he does. If you read through the Bible, you see that God is quite careful to show us the moments of weakness that can be found in individuals and men that he also gives us as examples of what they can do with God. God will show us what these men will do with him, and God always shows us what these men do without him. And this is a repeated pattern throughout the Bible. A.W. Pink points this out, and it's, He points out that Abraham was called the father of the faith, but actually we see Abraham losing faith when he travels to Egypt with his wife and he lies to Pharaoh about who his wife is so he can protect himself. You have Moses, who we're told is in the Bible in Numbers chapter 12, was very meek above every man on the face of the earth. He was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And yet the Bible shows us Moses being barred from entering into the promised land because he lost his temper at the people because they weren't giving him the respect that he wanted. The meek man, the meekest man, loses his temper and he can't enter into the promised land. The apostle John is called the apostle of love. That's a wonderful title, the apostle of love. And yet, the Bible shows us John at one point in time going to Jesus and asking Jesus to give him the power to call down fire to destroy a Samaritan village that won't welcome them into the village to give them a place of hospitality. So that's the action of the apostle of love. So there you see the man of faith. There you see the meekest man on the face of the earth. There you see the action of the apostle of love. What is the Bible showing us? That God can do tremendous things When God is received by an individual and God works upon that individual, God can work into us faith. God can work into our lives meekness. God can work into our lives abounding love, but without him, relying in our own strength, in our own capacity, in our own ability, we don't present faith. We don't present meekness. We don't present love. Just the opposite. There are many more illustrations like that. David the Bible says, was a man after my own heart. God says, David was a man after my own heart and a man who's loyal and faithful and totally given to me. And 
then the Bible shows us David committing adultery. You have other examples. You have Paul contending with Barnabas, and you have Peter denying his Lord, and on and on and on can go these stories. And the point is that God is showing us and letting us see what we do without him, what we accomplish without him. Paul says himself in Romans chapter 7, having this look of what he can do in his own capacity and by his own nature, he says that he knows that within his flesh there dwells not one good thing. I can't produce anything from myself, just solitarily. What I have to offer, there's not one good thing I have to offer. Psalms 39.5 puts it this way. Truly, every person at their best, it actually says, every man at his best. Truly, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Every man in his best state is altogether useless is the idea. That's what you have to offer in and of yourself. That's what you have to offer in your own strength. Yet it is to we, the weak and discouraged, that God comes, promising to lift us to prevail in faith against the waves of life that would otherwise wear us down. So let's look to Him, who rules above all circumstances, and rules in all circumstances, and even rules the circumstances we're in. This has been the Bread of Life. Keep the missionaries of Church Partnership Evangelism in your prayers, won't you, as they work in Ecuador, Cambodia, India, Indonesia, Greece, and Bulgaria to release the body of Christ as his witnesses. To find out more, go to breadoflifeboise.org or traincpe.org. Until the next time, God bless you.